We uh, are going to be, like I said, in Revelation. Uh, we're going to be in 6 and 7, and I'm just going to offer a prayer for our, our, the Word of God today, and then we'll jump right into it, because we got a lot to cover. So uh, will you join me in prayer? God, we thank you so much for how your Word alters our lives, that it transforms us. It doesn't just leave us where we're at, but it calls us to you, which uh, is is. Just being in your presence changes our lives. It changes who we are. It changes our identity. And God, I thank you so much that you care so much for us, God. I pray right now that you would help us to do the impossible, to hear your word and to allow it to transform our lives, God, that it would resonate in our hearts, not just for this moment, but throughout our week and throughout our lives. Help us to be different people because of what we hear today. In your name we pray. Amen. So the book of Revelation, if you're newer here, uh, the book of Revelation is a very interesting book because it's a different style of uh, text when it comes to the New Testament. Um, it's apocalyptic prophecy. And so when you talk about prophecy, when you talk about the Old Testament, the New Testament, any of that prophecy, when you hear that word, it means that God's going to be revealing a truth about himself, some kind of big truth from uh, the heavens. And so that's kind of what is happening here is God's going to be delivering a truth and, and uh, a lot of it. And he's going to use symbols. He's going to use imagery. He's going to be using all kinds of things to help us to attain something that seems impossible, to help us to understand that he is in control, that he is God, and, and that this stuff is happening in a, a heavenly place. And it's hard for us to understand those things as earthly people, as people who have never been to heaven before. And so he's trying to break it down and help us to understand that. And so we're going to see a lot of imagery in these next two chapters. You're going to see a lot of symbolism and a lot of, a lot of things going on that you're going to be like, what in the world is this about? And don't worry, we're going to kind of walk through that. But I want to invite you that if you have questions, if you have things that you're like, well, I have even more questions after this. Well, I invite you to our Wednesday night studies. Uh, the men, I know, are going through Revelation as well. And uh, I know the women, I think they're in Exodus, but you'll see a lot of ties with Exodus and Revelation and a lot of connections there. And so feel free to bring some of those questions there as well, where you guys can uh, try to help answer those things together. So I just invite you to, to, to find a group where you can discuss and chew on this a bit more, more than just a Sunday morning. And so we're going to be uh, starting off right in the very beginning, chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 8. And so I invite you guys to open your Bibles to that, and we're going to read that together. So this is what the word of the Lord says for us today. It says, I watched as the land opened the first of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse, and its rider held a bow. And he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the land opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature uh, say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fury red one. Its rider was given the power to take peace from the earth, to make people kill each other. To, to him was given a large sword. When the land opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. And then I heard the, what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures say, two pounds of wheat for a day's wage and six pounds of barley for a day's wage. And do not damage the oil and the wine. 
When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following closely behind him. There were given the power over the fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Well, some big things happening there. Uh, a lot of uh, symbolism, but first I think we need to remember a bit of what we learned last week from Pastor Russ, uh, talking about who this lamb is. This lamb is Jesus. Jesus himself is the only one who is worthy to open the scroll. And so these seals are seven seals that are placed on the outside of a scroll. And they are meant to make it so that no one can tamper with it. No one can open it. No one can mess with it. A king would a lot of times put his seal on these things, and it would mean that no one can open this. And if they do, then they are punished by the king, that he would come down on them for for tampering with his stuff. And so when you see these seven seals, seven, a lot of time through Revelation and through Scripture, uh, represents perfection. And so this is perfectly sealed. And in order to open this, you have to be worthy to open it. Not anyone can just pop one open. And so you see Jesus being the only one who can open this, as Russ said last week. And so each of these things are going to happen before the scroll is open, before it is read, and the things in the scroll will happen. So uh, when it talks about uh, thunderous voices happening, uh, we should be thinking about this, uh, that John is writing this, and and in that kind of context, we should remember uh, the the Mount Sinai, uh, that that kind of connection there. Thunderous voices, God was thunder on Mount Sinai as he gave the Ten Commandments, as he passed down his judgment, his power, his authority to humanity, as he gave those instructions on what it would mean to be made holy. So it's that kind of idea that we get as these beings talk. They speak with God's authority, with God's power. And so there's these four beings there. There's a, a, a guy on, a, well, I don't know if it's a guy, but there's a person, a being uh, on, on a white horse uh, holding a bow. There's a red horseman that has a large sword. Um, there's a black horse that's holding scales. And then there's a, a gray horseman or a pale horse uh, that has uh, death or Hades on uh, the backs of them. And he is given the ability to kill one-fourth of the earth. Now, uh, it's, it's good to, to understand that when we see these figures, that this actually is not the first time in Scripture that we have seen these figures before. Um, actually, you see these horse, horses and horsemen in uh, Zechariah. Uh, where we first see them in the Old Testament. And so I want to invite us to turn to there and see what God was doing there and compare it to Revelation a bit. So uh, Zechariah 6, 1 through 5, and we're going to read through that and see how these four horse are, seem to be the same horsemen as the ones that we find in Revelation. Uh, it says, I looked, uh, Zechariah 6, 1 through 5 says, I looked up again, and there before me were four chariots coming out from between the two mountains, mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black, the third white, and the fourth dappled, uh, dappled all, all of them powerful. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these, my lord? The angel answered me, these are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the lord of the whole world, or of the whole world. 
And so we see that these, these creatures, they've, they've been, they're not a new thing. They've been around. They are hanging out with God. They are in the Lord's presence constantly. And so when we see that in Zechariah, when it talks about those two mountains there, uh, a lot of times when it comes to uh, Scripture, what you'll see is with the Jewish culture is anytime they talk about the temple or they talk about uh, mountains, what they're talking about is a place where God dwells. Because many times in the Old Testament, he was on Mount Sinai, he met Moses, he, you know, and, and then in the temple, it's where God's presence has come down to earth. And so the reference there uh, between these two mountains is that God, they're coming from the presence of God. And what we should understand through this from Zechariah is these are people or our creatures, our beings, that are under God's authority. They are doing God's bidding. They are going from God's presence out to the earth to go and search the earth, to see what they're doing, to see all the things that are happening in Zechariah. And so that's about all Zechariah gives us. But what we can understand is that these, pe- these beings are under God's authority. They do his bidding. And so whatever that they do, that comes from God. So uh, back to Revelations chapter 6, we see the first one has the bow. And the bow, uh, and he seeks to conquer. He has a conquest to conquer. Well, interesting, as I was doing some research on this, the bow, uh, some of the experts are saying, could actually represent uh, uh, Apollo. Uh, Apollo is a Greek god. And he represents uh, prophecy, he has judgment, and all of these things. And so uh, this kind of symbolism there, that this creature could be representing prophecy, but false prophecy. That these would be false prophets who would be descending down to earth, that would be coming to earth to fill the earth with all different kinds of messages. And, and it would be the kind of thing that would lead people astray to want to wanna go after uh, success and, and all these kind of things. And so it would be this straying away from God's way of doing life. And so that's the first horseman. It's the false prophets that would come to earth. The next one that we see is the second writer is this red horse, and he's given a large axe, and it says that war will break out, right? War will break out through all of the creation. The third is this uh, uh, horseman, this black horseman, and this uh, black horse holds uh, the scales, or the, the horseman holds the scales, and what we can see there is inflation happening, that it would be the rising cost of everything around them, that it would be hard to be able to survive, it would be hard to make yourself a successful life where everything just costs more and more and more. And the fourth one is death and persecution. And those are what they symbolize. Now, interesting enough, these four things that are there, we actually find in other places. Jesus himself actually talked about the fact that these things would take place before the end would happen. And so to to look at what Jesus said, we have to turn to Matthew 24, and uh, we're going to read, what did Jesus have to say about these things happening, these things taking place before the end uh, would happen? And so this is what Jesus says in Matthew 24, verses 4 through 14. It says, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that uh, you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. 
Nations will rise against nations, kingdoms against kingdom. There will be famine and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted, put to death, and you will be hated by all the nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away uh, from the faith and, be, and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the, the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in, all the, in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So Jesus is saying, things are going to be tough. Things are gonna, these things are going to happen. And just as Jesus describes here, uh, uh, you know, all this stuff is going to happen. All this things are going to happen, and then the end will come. And I love what Cody said earlier. When you read through these things, you're like, man, this sounds so crazy. This sounds so hard. Um, and there's a side, I don't know about you guys, but me, when I first read through these things, I'm like, oh, man, I kind of hope I'm not here. I hope this doesn't happen in my lifetime, right? But the reality is, as you read through that list, I mean, you just watch the news for five minutes, and you start to recognize, you know, maybe this is already happening, Maybe this isn't so far-fetched. Maybe this isn't that hard for us to imagine. I mean, honestly, as you look through these things, as the four horsemen, what they have, what you see is what is going on today. I mean, you talk about false prophets. We have them all the time. We call them all kinds of different things. We call them influencers. We call them, um, you know, uh, politicians. We call them whatever, where, you know, we get them uh, every two years here in the United States, right, where they promise us the world, and then they get there, and they don't do anything. Um, and, and the war is constantly talked about, right? We're always on the brink of war or in a war or just recovering from a war. It's always war is all around us and the fear of it. Food shortage. I mean, have you tried to buy, buy eggs lately? I mean, prices go up and up and up, and it seems like, man, how can you possibly survive? How can we keep going? And what we'll see in the United States especially, but through all out the world, is that the tolerance for Christianity is being pushed away more and more. Death is always around us. I mean, I don't know if you looked at the news today, but just down south in L.A., there was another shooting. And we pray for those victims and we pray for their families. There's another time of death just coming and, and claiming more lives. Death is all around us. So we look at these things. We look at everything that's happening in the world. And maybe it's not so hard to understand what that world would look like. But what Jesus says and what John says is the same thing. Both of them conclude with the same kind of idea. It's trust in Jesus. He has it under control. He has a plan in place. And he says, no matter how scary it gets, no matter uh, what the news says, no matter what you're seeing in front of you, no matter what happens on this earth, trust Jesus. I mean, where else could you go? And what's amazing is that's exactly what we see in the next part of Revelation. Uh, verses 9 through 11, it talks about the people being at the altar of God. Starting at verse 9, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony 
they had maintained. They called out to the Lord uh, in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until your judgment and uh, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. The Christians who have been killed for their faith, for their, for their beliefs, for, for uh, ministering to people, they're crying out to God. They, they say, speed the day of your coming, God. Speed the day of you coming and making all the rights, all the wrongs right. And God shows patience to them. He shows patience and he says, you know, just like I waited for you, I'm going to wait for them, for those people who haven't quite made it yet. I'm going to wait. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt this way when life was just tough? Life was going was rotten. You looked at the world and you looked around our city. You looked around whatever the situation that you were in and you just said, man, God, I, we, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to tell you how to do your job, but this might be a good time to come back because I don't know how we're going to make this right. I don't know how we correct the boat here, God. I mean, I'm looking at our state. I'm looking at who's in power. I'm looking at all the things and I'm saying, yeah, today seems like a good, ga- a good day, God, for you to uh, come and, and just Wipe the slate clean for your justice to just reign. So many victims of so many crimes, so many people out on the streets, so many just wrongs out there. God, maybe, it, maybe today is the day. And yet God shows patience just as he did for you and I. He waited for us to understand who he was, to, to show grace for us. And then that same kind of grace is what he's extending for the next people say just a little bit longer but what's interesting is what god does is he doesn't just tell them wait because that seems harsh right someone comes to you and says i'm hurting you're like well just wait right that's not what god does instead he clothes them he clothes them with his holiness he says he gives them uh these robes of white and that that uh, symbolizes his holiness you know that was something that they did when someone would come uh to another person and they needed to come under the care, they would maybe throw a coat over them. They would clothe them to say that you are my guest. You are with me, and I am going to take care of you. And that's exactly what God is doing here with these people. He's saying, you know, you guys have seen the harshness of the world, but you're with me. And my victory will be your victory. And so he clothes them and and his righteousness. And, you know, Russ uh, talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, the persecuted church, and how today, uh, it, statistically, the Christian church is more persecuted now than it's ever been. There's more people and more nations hurting all throughout the world because of the faith in Jesus. More people are being killed, more people are being fired, jailed, uh, re- going to re-education camps, which are just concentration camps. All these things are happening throughout our world because of the faith. And yet what's amazing is in all those places where you see the church being really squeezed and persecuted, you also see a a beautiful life throughout all those nations as well, where the church is actually growing in spite of persecution. As I always say, Christians seem to make, do their best work when squeezed, when culture starts to, to turn against us. That's when we do our best work. 
because we trust in God. It's like we can't do it on our own. We trust in Jesus that he's going to empower us to do those things. And so uh, that's exactly what we see in all the world. And so he says, wait. And he clothes them in his righteousness. The sixth seal is open and, and Jesus, uh, and, and the sixth seal is open just as Jesus said it would, there are earthquakes, cataclysmic uh, events happen, and humanity is hiding away, uh, trying to escape from it. But yet, all through that disaster and everything that happens through the sixth seal, they never repent. They never run to God. They never turn to God and ask him for help. Instead, they try to do it on their own. And so now we're going to go to chapter 7 of Revelation and we're going to be looking at uh, a different thing that's happening. It seems like almost like God pauses the opening of the seals. And so we actually won't get to the opening of the seventh seal till next week with Pastor Russ. And so, um, uh, but what happens here is it's like in between time. And so this is what Revelation 7 verses 1 through 4 says. It says, After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any trees. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he called out in a loud voice uh, to the four angels hold, uh, who had been given the power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until I put a seal on the forehead of the servants of God, of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed. It was 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And just after that, it goes through each of the tribes and talks about 12,000, 12,000, 12,000. A couple of amazing things that we should take note of with this is that this seal that God is placing on them, we can, we can remember other places where God had placed seals on his people, uh, first starting with Exodus where we see God placing a seal, or calling his people to place a seal on their doorway for Passover, that death would pass over their homes because Jesus was covering them, that Jesus, God's power of judgment would not be on his people. And so it was this promise that these people belong to God and that Jesus would die for them one day. The other thing that we could take note of is that John hears account of how many people will be sealed, and, and the number is 144,000. Now, if you're reading uh, uh, Revelation in a literal sense, you're going to look at that number and say, okay, good, there's a number, there, we can count, that many people make it. Um, but in a world where um, horses are red, and uh, there's all kinds of beans going on, there's creatures covered in eyes, and all kinds of craziness happening, uh, I think that we should look at each thing and say, does this mean what it means or does it mean something else? Is it pointing to something else as well? Uh, maybe it's both. And so uh, if you really want to go down some rabbit trails, research this number. And I got to tell you, I did. Research where it pops up. What does it mean? And uh, you'll see if you walk by my office, a lot of tinfoil hats um, that I, I got from running down those rabbit holes. Uh, yes, the kids are making that for arts and crafts and children in worship. Um, no, I'm just kidding. You got to come for VBS for that. Um, but instead of noticing the number here as uh, what's happening, what we should focus on, I think instead of focusing on that number, we should notice what's happening to John. Is that he hears a number and then something else happens. Uh, it, something else happens to John. 
It's, it's this like idea that keeps happening to him through Revelation, where it's like this, uh, this version of expectations versus reality. Kind of like what he had through his whole life with Jesus, where he's like, uh, everything that we heard that the Messiah was going to be like was going to be like this. And then Jesus comes in, he's like, well, he's completely different. He's so much better than we ever thought he would be. He's so much more full of grace. He's so much more caring. He's so much more personal. And so John hears a number. <coughs> Excuse me. John hears a number similar to a census being taken of God's army, similar to what we see in Numbers 1. John hears and then he sees something different in verse 9. It says, After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. So John hears a number, he turns to see it, and he sees something completely different. He sees something completely different. This reminds me of what Russ talked about last week, Revelation 5, where it talked about uh, them talking about who could open the seals, who could open this scroll, and it said no one could open it, and then yet, so he started to cry. And one of the elders talks to John in, the, in Revelation 5, he says, do not weep, See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its, and its seven seals. And then he looks, hearing this, imagining this lion, this, this majesty, you know, this, this epic person coming. He turns and he sees, and he sees a slain lamb standing before him. Two different people, it seems like, but the same person. John hears the number of all the people who have been sealed. And then when he turns, he sees everyone. He sees everyone who's a part of this kingdom. Every tribe, every nation, every language being celebrated at this moment. These are God's people. And what I love is John's still unsure. John still doesn't know who these people are. He, he sees this amount of people. He sees them all clothed and sealed by God. And so one of the elders asks him, he says, who do you think these people are? And he says, I don't know. Who are they? And so in verses 14 through 17, this is what the, he says. These are they who have come out of great tribulation. They were washed their robes <coughs> excuse me, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they be hungry. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor will the scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. I love this. It says, these people are God's people. They are the ones he's been waiting for. He's the one that he's caring for. He's the one that they love. They're given the promises that God gave Isaiah in, verse, in chapter 49, 10, and 25, 8. That they will not hurt, they will not hunger, they will not thirst, they will not be in harm's way anymore. But God cares for them. Jesus is victorious, and they are living into that truth. 
That is the same invitation that we have for us today. For you and I, we have this victory in Jesus as well. That's what's offered to us as we live our lives for him. When will you stop this suffering, we might ask. When you're going through hard times, you might ask, God, when will you stop all this? When will this hurting stop? And he will tell us, more need to come to know me. If you want to speed the day, become a missionary and start reaching out to those unreached people. In fact, that's what he says, not until the ends of the earth hear about my testimony. So they use the weapons that God has given them to further the kingdom, to further the message of God. And they are not given swords. They're not given anything else. They're giving palm branches to worship and celebrate God's life. They, they celebrate as victory, as victorious. Today, I want to encourage us, no matter where you, what's happening in your life, no matter what the doctor has told you, no matter what the bank account says, no matter what the child's rebellion looks like, no matter what the business is doing, no matter what the marriage looks like, no matter what the roof looks like, no matter what is happening in our world, God is in control. God is in control. And so we can praise him and we can thank him and we can celebrate that today. God's in control. Because, of the, because the only way that any of us have victory in life is by the power of the blood of the one who is worthy of opening the squirrel, which is Jesus, his victory. I'm going to invite the, the worship team forward. And as they do, as they get ready for this, I want to invite us into a time where we would be worshiping together. But this is what I want you to be thinking about. What thing in your life do you need to trust Jesus' timing with? Maybe it's your health, maybe it's your job, your kids, your mental health, your fear, anxiety, whatever it is that you have going on right now in your life that you need to trust God with, to trust his timing in, because you're like, God, just come through. I want this. I need this. I need you to do this for me. And then if you do this and everything's going to be okay, trust his timing. He has it under control. And so whatever that is, that thing that's on your heart, that's on your mind, that keeps you up at night, or when you wake up, it's the first thing in your mind, whatever it is, that thing, as we sing this next song together, we sing victory over our lives because of Jesus. And as we sing, I want you, I invite you to pray and just give that to God, to lay it at the altar with him. Say, God, I trust you in your timing because it is perfect and it is made for my ultimate good. So I trust you. So as we sing, let us sing with that in mind and that in our heart. I'm going to pray and then we'll sing together. God, I thank you so much that we have victory in our lives because of you. And it is only you, God, who can give us that victory. It's the only, only through you that we can do anything in our life that is worth looking at, worth talking about, worth doing anything. And I thank you so much that you use us to do crazy things like love people, like care for people, like have hope for people, have hope in our own lives. I thank you that we don't have to work on ourselves, but we have to just work on our relationship with you and you work on us. And our anxiety and our fears and our control issues, whatever it is, God, our anger issues, God, that we could give those to you and trust that you are going to do a new thing in our life. 
and all those things that we really want to just control, those, those places in our life that we want to grab a hold of and say, God, this is what I need you to do, that we'd hand those things over to you as well. Say, I trust you, God. Help me live differently because I trust you. God, thank you that you're so close to us, that you're near here today. Holy Spirit, do work in our heart now as we sing this song. Let us hand it over to you. In your name we pray. Amen.